clapped off beat. So you probably don't want to be in front of me anyway, because I'll probably totally mess up your worship experience. Uh, and the other reason is so that I can selfishly hear all of your voices. Um, we were singing this last time. It said, all glory and praise to the lamb who was slain, who bore all, our, all of our sin and cleansed every stain. So my mind is jumping into uh, Book of Revelation. It's talking about what it's going to be like in the future. This is uh, five, Revelation 5.11. It says, Then I looked and I heard those around the throne, the living creatures and elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all of them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And that's where my mind goes. I kind of close my eyes and listen to you guys because it's it's a foretaste of what's to come. And as great as you guys sounded, I know that's not even going to scratch the surface of what we're going to experience in the future. So, um, well, school is back in swing. Things are going 100 miles an hour. If you're like me, my household's insane in the morning getting out the door. Uh, football season started yesterday, which was nice, not necessarily for my team or some other teams in the state of Florida. It was uh, not too pleasant, but we'll keep moving on. I didn't stay up late for the Florida State-Alabama game because I figured both teams can't possibly lose in the same game, so why bother? <laughs> why endure the frustration? Uh, so anyway, we're back. we're back to school. Your kids are becoming students again. Elementary kids are turning into middle school people, as nice as they can be. And those people are starting to resemble young adults as they enter into high school. On Friday nights when they put on their uniforms, if it's not raining and lightning here in Sebring, if when they put on those uniforms, they become a team. And with each one of those transitions, they take on a new identity. That new identity is, uh, comes with it a knowledge base, some responsibilities, new language patterns, lingo that you use on, in that identity, and behaviors. Now, maybe your students already graduated from high school and they've left for college. That identity is changing rapidly because of the increased independence tempered with the responsibility. And it can be a huge learning curve. And we've, you know, we always pray our kids don't fall behind that curve because they boomerang back. So um, I think people know what I'm talking about because of the laughter. Um, but anyway, so. It, it is a huge learning curve, going out and being independent, being on your own. Or maybe they've graduated college, they've entered the workforce, and now you start to do that thing that you do for eight hours a day, and that becomes part of your identity. Because if you think about conversations that you have with people, you get to know who they are, and maybe who their family is, but then you find out, what do you do for a living? Because that, you know, if that's what you do for eight hours, that makes up a lot of who you are. It's nice to know who people are conversation is, hey, my name is, and this is what I do. Maybe you've had that career change. Anyone in that boat, that's, uh, that can be a little tough, especially if you hit midstream. If you, you lose one identity to have to put on another, something that you've done for years and have to change course. I can tell you in my short number of years, I've been the lawn boy, um, worked at the pretzel store at the mall. That was fun. I was a graphic artist at the newspaper. And then I went into construction uh, doing stucco during the Florida summer, which is, it can be a little warm out there. 
each one of those jobs, I took on a new identity. For the first couple of jobs, I was Adam the Lawn Boy, Adam the Pretzel Twister, the uh, graphic artist, the co-worker, or the Mud Boy on the Stucco Crew. Then I went into education. I started substitute teaching, and I became Mr. Smale. And that was that was a different it was a different feel because you know you're you're starting to feel that adult thing happening. Oh, you know, and that's the way I talk to my parents, Mr. and Mrs. So and So. But that that job had its responsibilities too. You don't you really substitute teaching. You never knew what you were going to walk into, what kind of classroom it was going to be. Then I had my own fourth grade class, and I had my same kids every day. Those were my kids, and I sometimes I run into them today, and I, they're still my kids. Then I taught sixth grade for three years up in Avon Park, and you know, working with middle schoolers can be something else. I I love middle schoolers. They're 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 neat because they're shapeable, they're moldable, and they're becoming those young people. And we have the opportunity to put our hands in the clay and help them become that person. Then I took on the job as a dean of students. Okay, that job had more responsibilities, new stuff that I had to learn. Each one of these steps I'm learning along the way. I also had a new identity. I was called a lot of things as the dean of students, but that's all right. Uh, then I did. Uh, I was a guidance counselor for a year, then I taught pre-algebra. And getting my mind back into the, the flow of pre-algebra is something I hadn't done since, since I had gone through middle and high school. I had to re-gear my, my mind. I had to, again, enter that learning curve. New responsibilities in the classroom again, having the grade book and all, that, all the things that go along with it. We're always in these stages of transition. Now I think about military. How many of you in here are military? Can I see Okay, and you made that switch from military to civilian life. How'd that go? Okay, I have, a, I have a dear friend of mine who was in military for about 22 years, and when he transitioned into, into civilian life, he just couldn't really understand civilians. Why did they do this? I mean, for military, for 22 years, you're trained to do this, and you can expect exactly that. So fortunately, he got a job with the post office, and he blended in quite well. So, and then, then I think about retirement. And that's a long way off for me, and maybe Jesus will come back before I get there. So I can't really speak on authority of that, but I, I've got to imagine that's going to be a major transition as well. Doing the same, you know, doing a job for years and years and years, 30, 40 years, however long you're in that job, and now you don't have it. Well, what am I going to do with my time and energy? What do I like to do? Who am I? Because, I mean, if you've lost that identity, now what do you do? And then, again, this past weekend, got to be uh, part of, present at a wedding. And my married people out there know what that's like. It's a, it's a totally new identity. It's a great thing. You go from single guy, single girl, with, you know, you're responsible for yourself, accountable to yourself. You do what you want to do. And then you get married, and... Now you're responsible for another being, uh, human being, accountable to them. And then, you know, it's, you're not just Adam. It's not just Stacy. It's Adam and Stacy Smale. It's, it's one. You're one person. And talk about the learning curve on that. You think about the first year of marriage. You're, it's like throwing two rocks into a rock tumbler and seeing what comes out. You're, you're definitely learning a lot. Uh, but then that tra- transition happens, too. You go from... Mr. and Mrs. to mom and dad. 
talk about a learning curve there as well. You've got responsibilities, accountability, new stuff that you're learning on a daily basis, behaviors that have to change, and it's it can be overwhelming at times. <laughs> you, sometimes you never really know what's going to happen. Uh, but anyway, so there's another transit. All this to say, we have another transition that we all have that opportunity to go into. And it's going to be laid out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 17. We're going to be coming back here a couple times, so if you want to grab one of the things out of the pew and just kind of mark it so we don't lose it. Second Corinthians five seventeen it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So as I'm reading scripture, I, I like to ask myself questions. I try to pick it apart and ask myself questions. What does this mean? It says in Christ. Well, what does in Christ mean? Well, a good place to look is in scripture. So if you've got that page marked, I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. It's a few pages to the right. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at what in Christ means. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 13. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you were also included in Christ, there it is, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So having, uh, let's see, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, uh, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a spirit. That's, that's the start of the new identity. That in Christ, you were literally hellbound, but didn't know it. I can tell you my experience, I was just going with the flow. Didn't even, didn't know, didn't care that I was hellbound. But then something happens in Christ. You are marked in him with a spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the, in the future. Well, actually, that, that Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that's the fullness of God. We sang the song this morning, breathe. This is the air I breathe, your, your holy presence living in me. The Holy Spirit is God himself living inside you, inside this, this body. Man, why choose me? Why choose me? That's, that's absolutely amazing. I, th- I think we often lose lose sight of the fact that God is literally near. He is here, right here within me. Amazing. So basically what it's saying is at some point, if at some point you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of your sins and your salvation, you are in Christ. It talks about a new creation, that you are a new creation, and an old creation. Let's talk about a little bit about the old. Okay, a good place to look for that is in Scripture. So if we're, if we're there in Ephesians, you want to flip over to Colossians. There's a few more pages over to the right. Spending a lot of time in Paul this week. Colossians chapter 1. This talks about our condition before. Colossians chapter 1. Some of these things are important. You might want to underline them just to remind you. Sometimes it's nice to remember where you came from. It's, uh, it can be humbling but it can make you extremely grateful as well. Verse 21 says, 
once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, if you've got that, and you, you go over to uh, back, back to Ephesians and look at chapter 2. Um, I know I'm having you flip back and forth, but Ephesians chapter 2 actually says, this is verse 1, says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins when you followed the ways of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins when you used to live according to the pattern of this world. That's some pretty harsh language. You've got alienated, enemies, evil, and dead. Not a good list to be on. <laughs> yeah, pretty harsh. But when I read those, the good news is in there. It's all in past tense. It says, we were alienated. We were enemies. You were dead. So something must have happened. If it's past tense, that means it used to be. Something must have happened. So what happened? Okay, let's, if you're in that, if you still have your finger in that Colossians passage, verse 22 says, "But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation." That the word "but" when you see that, that means it's the opposite of what was just said. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, and that reconcile word we're going to keep coming back to because that's it's pretty important. Reconcile means to be brought back into harmonious relationship the way that God had intended. Being brought back into the harmonious relationship. Ephesians, the Ephesians passage talks about, it says, but because of his rich mercy, God made us alive in Christ even though we were dead. Okay? He's talking about mercy. That means he's not given us something we do deserve. If you say, you know, show me mercy, I mean, I deserve something. Don't give me what I deserve. But it says, but because of his rich mercy, because he doesn't want to give us what we do deserve, God made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. Which is pretty, that's a pretty drastic change. If you think about going from death to life, that's not just a, you know, cleaning up the old clothes, throwing them in the wash. That's, that's a completely new creation. You were dead and now you're alive. That's not just someone who is bad turning into a good person, cleaning up their act. That is someone who is dead coming back to life. That's something that only God can do. So if we keep going back, if we go back to the, uh, if we're thinking about the Second Corinthians passage, it says that the old is gone, the new has come. We, when we're the old creation, like I was saying for myself, just going along with the flow of the pattern of the world. If it feels good, do it. I just do what I want to do when I want to do it. But what happens is when we're in Christ, we talked about that Holy Spirit being deposited in you, that gives you the ability to make a choice. I don't have to do it anymore. Sometimes God lets you do it anyway if that's really what you want to do, but I don't have to do it. I'm not, I'm not forced into this same old pattern anymore. I have a choice. So I want to take a look at that old self and new self. You got your Bible. We're still there in, in Ephesians. If you still got your finger there, I know you're going back and forth. But now we're going to be over in chapter 4. We're going to take a look at that old self and the new self. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 22. Verse 22, 4.22 of Ephesians. 
It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It tells what the old self was. The old self was, was corrupted by deceitful desires. The new self is created to be like God in true righteousness. That's a pretty nice, nice change. Keep coming down a little bit further. He's going to give us an idea of what this kind of looks like. I mean, I've got an idea of what, what uh, true righteousness and holiness looks like, but he's going to give us some practical examples. Come down there in verse 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. He's telling us this is how you get rid of the old self. This is what the new self looks like. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If anyone has been stealing, he must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands so that they may have something with, to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. There's the Holy Spirit again that we're sealed with. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And the contrast to that is be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you look in the beginning of that verse, uh, chapter 5, it says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Some translations might say be imitators of God. And that kind of, for me, that kind of raises the standard a little bit to imitate God. I, how do I do that? Well, Christ did it for us, he says, walking in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Okay, if you had a, if you had a side-by-side chart of what to put on and put off, he says, put off falsehood, stop lying, speak truthfully. Don't sin in anger. It doesn't say don't be angry. You can still be angry, but it's telling you don't, be, don't sin in it. So what does that mean? It's okay to be upset, and there are certain things you should be upset about when you see someone being taken advantage of. That should, that should upset you because that... God has a, has a heart for people who can't defend themselves. Defender of the fatherless. He's, he's just, so he's, he's fair. He's legally fair. If you see God's word being maligned or his standards being dropped, you should be upset. Something should stir in you. If you're okay with that, that's probably not, not a good indicator of your heart. You should be upset about that. But don't sin in that anger. That doesn't mean you have to go chasing people around the street, pounding them with your Bible. That's not going to help them. You need to speak truth and love to them. Okay? It says stop stealing. That makes sense. Okay? And, but, uh, you know, that's not just going to Walmart and slipping something in your pocket. That means, you know, you're thinking about your time and resources at work. That could be looked at as stealing as well. So, I mean, you need to, to gauge your actions against the word of God. I'm not doing what I'm saying. But work. And why? To amass stuff? To have money to play with? No, it says, it says that you should work so that you'll have something to share with those in need. doesn't mean you have to give it away, but if there's someone in need and you have the ability to help, maybe God's blessed you with those resources to be able to help other people. Then he goes into this other list. Uh, well, the no unwholesome talk, but building other, each other's up. That's, that can be difficult at times. Then he goes into the list of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. That's some pretty tough stuff. He gives you the contrast. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, imitating God and walking in the way of love. 
Now, that what, to me, what this sounds like is a whole bunch of rules, things you have to do, a checklist you have to keep. But that's not what it is. Okay? Because I can't do it. There's no way I can do this. Like I said, if I spend if I spent five minutes in Walmart, I, some of this stuff is some of this stuff is going to be straight out the window. The patience level is gone, or uh, or maybe watching a football game, thinking about things that come out of your mouth. So, especially after yesterday, it wasn't a pleasant day. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm what I'm looking at here is not a list of rules that you have to keep. I like to look at this as uh, a guy walking a tightrope. Maybe a few years ago, you remember seeing that guy who walked across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope? You remember seeing that? Kind of give me a head nod if you remember, or you have no clue what I'm talking about. I think we may have all tuned in. Something was weird about us tuning in, seeing is this guy going to fall or what? And then he did the same thing going from skyscraper to skyscraper. Okay, as you're watching this guy up there on the tightrope, was he sitting here looking down at his feet every step of the way? No, I think that would probably it would probably mess up your balance, make you dizzy. But if you watched him, his eyes were fixed straight across the Grand Canyon, all the way where that rope was tied into the other side. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? Hebrews twelve one and two tells us that as we're running this race with endurance, we need to throw off the sin that hinders and easily entangles. That we need to fix our eyes on the Author and Perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Faith. So how do we do that? I was thinking about, well, driving down the highway. How many of you are extremely patient, kind, and compassionate going up and down the highway? Give it about three months and then tell me your answer. <laughs> okay. I don't think having a little dashboard Jesus up there is going to help you keep your focus. It's, if anything, it's going to like the little bobblehead. Sorry. I got the visual in my head, and it came out my mouth. Um, that's not going to help you keep your focus on the road. It's, it's probably going to distract you more than anything. I think about the WWJD bracelets that they were, what would Jesus do? And, and that's a good way to keep it in the forefront of your mind. But it's, it's, it's again, it's not going to keep your focus when that guy is being, being ugly to you at the store, wherever you're at. So how do we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our of our faith, he's given us tools. He's given us the Word of God. So you need to spend time in the Word, time in prayer, and then fellowship with other believers. I'm going to say that again. You need to spend time in the Word, time in prayer, and fellowship with other believers. When you do that, you're enabling the Holy Spirit to do through you the things that you once thought were impossible. Somehow I'm able to have patience in that situation. Or when my kid's fighting me on homework, I can step back and and I have a different choice. I don't have to I don't have to win this argument. How can I be patient in this? And he allows you to do that. It's a process. It's a process. Yes, he saved us from the penalty of sin. This is him saving us from the power of sin in our life. And it's a battle that we're going to face throughout life. As long as you're walking around this flesh and bone, you're going to be you're going to be struggling with this and and you know what I'm talking about because we all have our different thorns that we deal with. But that's part of our new identity in Christ. Now, if you're cheating, looking ahead on the program and uh, seeing the, the title of the message, it was the new identity in Christ and your new ministry in Christ. So that, that's the second half of it. Yes, you've got a new identity, but in this new identity, you have responsibilities. 
and the responsibility is this. We're back in the Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five again. Because we, he tells us that he tells us this new creation. And here's the new ministry. I was going to say that, you know, the whole thing about trying to keep that checklist, you can't do it anyway. But here in verse 18, it says, all of this is from God. He's going to help you do it. Okay, so verse 18 says, all of this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, there's your ministry. You got the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So he calls us ambassadors. Todd touched on this a little bit last week about being an ambassador. An ambassador is an official for the homeland that lives in the land and culture of another land, but speaks with the authority of the leader of the homeland. I know that seems like we're going back and forth. They represent the homeland and speak with the authority of their leader, but live in that foreign culture. And that's us. Here in, in, um, in the United States, we have departments and agencies. Over in England, they have ministries, like the Ministry of Justice, the Ministry of Defense. So this is your job. You are an ambassador of Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. That's your job. So what do we do? This ambassador, again, we, we're living in a foreign land. Jesus, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So his kingdom is not of this world. While he's praying, praying for the disciples, he says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. That's us. We're not of this world. We're in it. We're living it out. But while we're here, we are the ambassador sent to speak the message of the king. So what is this? What is this message of the king? Looking back at that verse 19, he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Well, it says God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against them. Okay, you think about reconciliation, like a marriage that's, been brought back together. Husband gives a little, wife gives a little, they meet somewhere in the middle to have that harmonious relationship. But that's not what this says. That's not what this says. It says God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. We did all the damage. We messed it up. But God is doing the work to fix it. And he did that in his physical body by no longer counting men's sins against them. So if God did all the work, did all the work to make this right, what is this ambassador to do? He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Our job is to tell that dying world around us, the enemies of God that we come into place with, that God has made a way back to himself. And he's always, this isn't a new program. He's always done this. He's always made a way back to himself. I think back to the garden. Adam and Eve were there for two weeks or two hours, however long it took them to blow it. And as soon as they blew it, they knew it because they covered themselves with leaves. But God made a way back. He made a covering for them that was better than those, better than those leaves. He made covering of skin. That means something had to die. He made a way back to them. Through the ark, 
Noah was a righteous man and pulled him out of that world and made a way back to himself. Abraham and Isaac, he made a way back so that Abraham did not have to give up his son. He provided. On that mountain, God provided. And about, I don't know, I think 2,500 years later, on that mountain, God provided again. You look at the Passover. You look at the Passover celebration. They were stuck in Egypt. God made a way back to himself, to his land, to for his people and his land. He made a way back, but you had to do it his way. It had to be a perfect lamb. His blood had to be put on your door. There, but he always made a way back. And now in Christ. All these pictures from the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. Our message is the, the message of this work that he did in Christ. That's our job. Verse 20 tells us, tells us what that message. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his, his appeal through us, this is the message. We implore you on, God, on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So, this afternoon when you're at Publix, getting your stuff for the week, turn to the guy behind you in line and say, be reconciled to God. Now, they may not know what you're talking about. Maybe there's someone here in this room. It's not, it's not the language that we normally use. Be reconciled to God. What does that mean? How do, how do we communicate with, that, with people? Uh, because that's our job. How do we do it in this language? Well, to be reconciled means there has to be a separation. There's something that's not right that's keeping the relationship out of harmony. And, you know, if you're going with the flow of the world, maybe you don't even know. Maybe you don't even care that there's a separation. Your job is to bring that to their attention. Now, going up and calling them a sinner is probably not going to be the thing that's going to draw them to Jesus. That's probably going to make them run away and make them hate you. Okay? But what you need to do is be able to sit in conversation, tactfully bring up the point that nobody's perfect. People will agree with that. If you say, well, nobody's perfect, well, yeah, that's, nobody's perfect. Okay, but it's not based on my standard. It's based on God's standard. And God's standard is, pretty, is, is, is a pretty tight standard. He demands perfection. If nobody's perfect, that puts us all in a bad, in a bad spot. And that imperfection he calls sin. Unfortunately, he has a, a pretty stiff penalty for sin. In that Romans chapter 6, he talks about that penalty being death. Man, that is a pretty stiff penalty. Well, God is holy. He can't be in the presence of sin. And if we've got sin, then we're the problem. And if death is the penalty, that means we're all in a bad spot. So now maybe you've, ever, you've had the question in your mind or someone's asked you, isn't God supposed to be loving? Can't this loving God just sweep away sin and make it go away and just let everyone go into heaven? Anyone ever hear that question? Kind of give me a head nod, let me know. Ever, anyone hit you with that question? Well, maybe it's in your mind this morning, and that's good. Okay? God can't just sweep it under the rug. God is, God is just. We talked about that before. He is, he's holy, which means he can't be in the presence of sin. He loves you, and he wants you to be there, but you can't be in his presence. But he's just. That just means he's got to deal with it. Just like a courtroom judge. Would you like it if a courtroom judge let the guy who killed five people, let him off the hook, just kind of swept it under the rug? That no, nah, that's all right. No, that's corruption. Or bribery or anything like that. That's corruption. That's not good. That's not good for society. It's not, it's not right. That's against his standards. Or think about your own children. You know, when, when your children do things that, that are not right, it's your job to discipline them. Because what happens if you don't discipline your child now? 
You're going to end up paying for it later. But God is a good father, and he, he does discipline. Okay, so he takes care of the problem. Well, because God is loving, well, he's holy, can't stand sin. The just means i got to deal with the sin, but he's loving. He's made a way back. Again, he's always made a way back. If you look down there in verse 21 of the 1 Corinthians passage, or 2 Corinthians passage, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I believe we sang that last week. Um, I think it's Chris Tomlin. He became sin that knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Think about that. I mean, I can't be the judge of your life. You know where you're at. And think about what you brought to the cross. If you are in Christ, think about what you brought to the cross. If you're like me, I brought a wheelbarrow full of garbage up there and walked away with a crown. That's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty amazing exchange. And if you haven't made that decision, you can make that today. So he made that exchange. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. The debt has been paid. Remember what I was talking about? He has a stiff penalty for sin, that we all, because we, we all sin, nobody's perfect, we all owe that, we all owe that debt. He bore us, our sins in his body so that, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. He made a way. The debt is paid. Our death sentence had been carried out. Now salvation could be free but you have to accept it by faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because in order to come to him, you must believe that he exists, and he's the faithful rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. He exists. Come to him by faith. You have to believe. And again, the famous passage out of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the offer. It's not a tightrope that you have to walk. It's not a checklist of things you have to do to get to heaven. God didn't do it that way. If we could make it, that, make it there on our own, Jesus came for nothing. If it was Jesus and all this other stuff, then Jesus wasn't enough, and he's enough. But you have to accept it by faith. It's something as simple as acknowledging, God, I know I've blown it. I know I fall short of that standard, and I know I deserve death. This is just the thought process that, that, that I had to go through, I had to wrestle with. I know I deserved it, but you paid it for me. And as best I know how, I'm placing my trust in you because that's the only way. That's the only way back to you. I'm placing my faith, my trust in you for the payment of my sin and the salvation of my soul. They're saying this morning, Jesus, you're the, you're the Savior of my soul, and that's exactly what happened. So if that's you today, I'm not going to tell you to come forward or raise your hand, but if that's you, I'm going to encourage you to talk to someone after the service. If you don't understand what I said and you want some more clarification, come see me. There's other people around who could help you out as well, too. We'd be glad to give you that clarification. So, again, you are a new creation in Christ. I'm going to encourage you to to grow in him, to, to, to stay in the word, stay in prayer, stay in fellowship with other believers, because what that's going to do is going to take the, the Holy Spirit that's inside you and stoke it into a raging fire that, that can't help but to spread to the people around you. 
as you put that in, that's what comes out. You know, you always think about what your mom always said, garbage in, garbage out. Okay. Same thing happens the other way. You put, you put this in, guess what's going to flow out in your life? Whatever you put in your eyes, your ears, is going to flow out in your life. And I encourage you to put the Word of God in there, put prayer in there so that it can flow out in your life and affect the world around you. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for reconciling us to you. We know that we caused that gap, and we thank you for bridging it for us. Thank you for making a way. God, we want to live this new creation for you. And not in ourselves, but through you, because we don't have the power to do it. So, God, we're asking the Holy Spirit to come alive in us, that we would nourish it, that we would follow it, that we would speak life into the world around us, because, Lord, this world is dying, and they need you. Father, I'm praying for those this morning who've made that decision. I'm praying they would have the courage to talk to someone. For those who have made that decision years ago, that they would stoke, stoke that Holy Spirit into a raging fire. And that we would all leave here changed. That we would go out and affect the world around us. Jesus, we love you so much. Praying your blessing upon this flock. In Jesus' name, amen.